In today's episode, we discuss what it feels like to experience sensory overload and how the sensory system differs for our autistic children. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Howdy, howdy. Welcome back. Going a little country? I was thinking Toy Story. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Oh, okay. (laughs) Threw me off. I wasn't sure where we were going with that. (laughs) Yeah, I love Toy Story. Um, So anyway... Today, we are talking about sensory experiences, and we're basically looking into specifically my insight on this in terms of what I have experienced. I don't really want to talk on behalf of other people because autism is a spectrum and a lot of people experience sensory things very differently. So this will be explicitly from my perspective and perhaps things we've observed in our girls. And to help you out, I've taken some notes on your sensory challenges, let's say. So we can try and figure out how that might relate to like our kids, for example, and different areas they might struggle that might be similar. Yes. And you are very intimately related to this because you tend to have to be the hero of the day, <laughs> seeing as how a lot of my sensory stuff is involved with a lot of things we got to do. So so I have, a, I have a fun list. It'll be fun. It'll be, like, it'll be like Jeopardy. Except I'm terrible at Jeopardy. So hopefully not. There's a few different areas that I have issues with. Now, I just want to preface this with I'm going to be speaking solely on behalf of myself here. As you're well aware, very different autistic individuals experience sensory in very different ways. Some people might be more hypersensitive to things versus hyposensitive or over or undersensitive. So my experience definitely does not reflect that of all autistic individuals. It might not even reflect my children's experiences, although we do have some similarities and overlaps. But I just want to give you a little bit of insight of how I experience these things and how autistic kids may experience some of these situations. So the first one I want to talk about is probably the one that is the biggest nuisance to me personally. Can you guess what that one might be? Could it be taste? No, but that's a good one. Because <laughs> on my list where I wrote out all the senses, I put like for your struggles or challenges for taste, I put just yes. You know what's hilarious? <laughs> I didn't even put that one on my list. And it is the biggest oh one. Gosh. How did I not think of that? Okay, let's start with that. Wow, because taste, I will tell you, that is definitely the worst one. I do not know how I forgot that one. When it comes to sensory and your kid's ability to try new foods or not want certain textured foods or things like that, I'm going to tell you from my personal experience, that has been the biggest challenge for me specifically, and it has directly impacted my mental health in the sense that it is very stressful for me when it comes to mealtime. So when it comes to meal planning, when it comes to trying to eat at any point in time, it's always a very like stressful, anxiety-inducing moment for me. And that is all purely due to the sensory aspect of food and eating, basically. I almost think of like, in an apocalypse, you'd be like the first to let go. Yes. I always make a joke, though, that I have plenty of reserves. So <laughs> I will be around for at least a year or two before that happens. <laughs> but no, I, I'm just thinking of like, when I go like grocery shopping, I'm like, okay, what can Leah possibly eat? And it's it's a very, very like short list. And I mean, it's mostly like, I think like fruits. Grains and fruits and and some veggies. Yeah. Honestly, it's it's healthy-esque stuff, except for 
I do have a sweet tooth that I can tolerate a lot of sweet. Well, they're mostly like carb things, carb-based things like cupcakes or brownies or pastries. They have flavors that tend to be pretty straightforward. Like a sweet usually tastes just sweet or carby and sweet. There isn't like a whole lot of stuff going on. Like say you would with like a lasagna that has like five or six different flavors, for example. So one of the biggest struggles really is like that mixing of flavors. I... Well, everyone always calls me what plain Jane because I order everything plain. Just think dry food. If you have a burger or anything, it has to be just dry. There can't be any type of sauce or anything on it. I do put cheese. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but still dry. Only specifically (laughs) cheddar cheese. (laughs) Oh my gosh, but heaven forbid some ketchup gets in there. And the reason I specifically choose cheddar cheese is because if you notice when cheddar cheese melts, it doesn't get slimy and gooey. It retains its form. Whereas other cheeses like provolone and American, they tend to get really melty and I don't like that. There you go, folks. Uh, No one else has put that much thought into the cheese (laughs) other than, oh, this one tastes better. But I want to bring this up because a lot of times parents will get this idea that their kid doesn't want to eat something because they're being picky or because they don't want to try something new or just generally because they're misbehaving or something like that. And I just want to make it very clear to you guys. I want to give you guys from my personal experience. This is not something that I feel like I can control, and it's not something that I enjoy at all. If I could get a magic wand and ask for one wish, it would be that eating would be easier because this is the most anxiety-inducing, stressful moment. Matt, you can contest to this about how I get so worked up every time it comes to decisions when it comes around food. Like, what are we going to have for lunch? What are we going to have for dinner? It's so anxiety-inducing. Your stress causes me stress. It's very hard. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. It definitely is a struggle, especially like if we are thinking of like grabbing food. Like, I mean, we can prepare a little bit better. Like if we did like grocery shopping and we can kind of like come up with something. But even that's a challenge. But if we're thinking of like, oh, we need to grab like fast food or something, it's like nothing really seems like appealing. There's different components to it. So there's certain foods that smell noxious to me. Things like grilled chicken. I had that on my list. (laughs) Grilled chicken's on the list. (laughs) I absolutely cannot do grilled chicken. The smell of grilled chicken just drives me nuts. So I cannot tolerate that. Except we just learned that, what is it like, char grilling it? Yep. A little bit of charcoal and Leah is good to go. But you don't, well, I guess because you're smelling more so the barbecue and not the chicken itself. It totally changes the smell. Like whatever you grill it with, it it kind of infuses it and it actually smells really good to me. So I can eat it because the smell is totally different. Is that weird? That's true. But I mean, now we're going to get cancer because we're... (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to hopefully not have that much tar-grilled stuff. Yeah, right. (laughs) So the smell is one of the reasons. And that smell can really have an impact on whether or not you want to eat that. Like, imagine if you were looking at, like, a piece of cake and it smelled like sardines or something like that. It probably would impact your ability of being able to eat that. But honestly, for me, aside from things like the smell, the biggest part for me really is truly the texture. Like, I cannot do any sort of mushy foods. So I can't do cottage cheese, pudding, oatmeal, yogurt, pretty much anything that's mushy. I like how you start listing off the things that you can't do. And I'm like, Leah, there's an entire grocery store of foods you can't do. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's pretty. Oh, yeah, we pretty much funny. could just rule out certain aisles. Oh, you're funny. <laughs> yeah. And so for me, it's mostly like the texture of it. It's just, it's very gross. I don't really know how to explain it other than the fact that it literally like grosses me out. I have tried to eat certain foods that just sensory wise feel really icky to me. And I can put it in my mouth for a couple seconds and I can even acknowledge that the flavor itself is really good. Like I might taste it and say, wow, that flavor is actually really, really good. I wish it was in a different texture. And then I'll spit it out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I cannot, I seriously cannot handle it. And it's, again, it's not something that I'm choosing. Like I I truly in these moments, I'm like, man, I wish I could eat that. That would be so amazing to me if I had the freedom to eat what everyone else could eat. It does really feel like really restrictive. It feels like, you know, when you're like stuck with like prison food, it kind of feels like that. You're just like stuck to these limited foods and you wish you could eat more, but you can't. So was your big one that you thought was your biggest sensory struggle, was that just like the the texture component, like the kind of the touch? Yeah. So like when it comes to food, I think my biggest one is really the texture. So the smell is part of it, but it's I can kind of overcome the smell if I have to. Like I can plug my nose or I can breathe through my mouth or something like that. But you can't do anything to hide the texture. Once the texture's in there, you can't get it out. And for me, it's like even if I spit it out, there's still like the mouth memory of it. Like I can still kind of like feel it in there. And it's just, just I can't. Nightmares, so. Yeah, I just I can't do it. So no oysters for you. Oh, my gosh. Mm. So Matt made me try oysters because well, we should say raw, not the the smoke. Yes, raw oysters, and he. This should show you how much I love my husband (laughs) because he was. It's like his favorite food in the whole world. Oh, it's fantastic! And I literally okay. I tried this just to be loving to my husband, and I. Oh my gosh, I can't even relive this moment. It's so terrifying. (laughs) I swallowed it, and I just about gagged because it was. Seriously, literally to this day, the most disgusting thing I have ever tasted in my entire life. It seriously felt to me like whatever the equivalent to like just swallowing a wad of like snot would be like. And I will never ever do that again. Well, don't you dare throw it up because it's expensive. But if you do throw <laughs> it up, you can taste it twice going Look, down how about, back up. I'll throw it up and you can eat it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, certain things like that, like they are definitely no-go zones for me. I do try to push myself. So like I am willing to try just about anything once, even if I think I'm not going to like it. So like the oyster, I was pretty sure I wasn't going to like it. <laughs> But I don't like to like discount things until I've officially tried them. So I, I at least try to like expand my horizon that way. It's worked sometimes. Like I was able to overcome spinach and artichoke dip. I thought I was going to hate that and actually love it. Calamari. Yes. Yes. But those things, they add a little bit of texture. So the breading adds a little texture to take away from the sliminess. And with the spinach dip, you have chips and other things to kind of like break up that slimy texture. So if I have things mixed into it to like remove that just pure slime texture, then I can kind of do it. My experience of what that feels like is honestly just like total utter gross out. Like it's just gross. That's fine. You don't have to eat it. I won't. (laughs) So those are just a few things. I also don't like my foods touching together, especially when it comes to like solids and liquids. So like, for example, if you have like rice on one side and beans on the other, I don't want like the liquid from the beans to come into the rice and make my rice wet because I don't like wet foods. I don't like my sauces mixed together. So if I'm eating like fries with ketchup, my sauce will always be on the side. There's no way I would ever put my sauce on my fries or any sauce. I don't really use sauces in general. Who are you kidding? I was going to say, when you say like with an S plural, I was like, what other sauces there that you have besides ketchup? Yeah. 
I keep my foods pretty dry. I don't really use sauces or what flavor enhancers. <laughs> Exactly. Just bare bones. Yes. I want my food to taste as bland as possible, pretty much. Delicious. As well, like, plain, bland food. I don't really know why. I can't really explain it other than that's just what feels right to me. And everything else just feels icky, honestly. But I wonder if it also has, like, the appearance of it as well. Because, like, I made a sandwich today and it had, like, mayonnaise. Yeah, that was or, gross. <laughs> it had, like, mayonnaise, horseradish, banana peppers, and, like, mustard. And even just the sight of it, you're like, oh, that looks so gross. And it's like, I wonder if that is yeah, part of the battle. Yeah, probably because I didn't even know any of that was on it right. until you listed it. Now, all I saw was, like, the gooey mayonnaise <laughs> dripping off the sides. And I was like, nope. Right. So I wasn't, I wasn't sure if that was, like, part of it if there's like probably because i will have mayonnaise if it's mixed into something like a potato salad but that again has the texture to break it up of the other things in there like the potatoes so i just can't do those like slimy textures on their own when it comes to these like eating sensory things you can't force me to do it there's nothing you could do i could be starving i I remember once before i went like two or three days without eating because there wasn't anything that i could eat the kitchen was full but all of it was like sensory gross to me so i was like oh there's nothing so i just rather literally starve than eat something that I'm sensory averse to. Well, and it's the same thing for the kids too. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. any type of sauce is very, like, I mean, I think we just got them interested in ketchup a little bit on like what? Fries, I think. Yeah, fries. what I do. But I'm trying to think if there's any other sauce. Well, like marinara maybe uh, for like a breadstick or something. But it's very, very plain, very dry. Most of their foods are vegetables and fruits just like you as well. So I feel like it's similar in that regard, but I'm not really sure of any crossover, like what mm-hmm. they're experiencing on their own, because obviously they're too young to tell exactly what they're thinking. Right. But also you make a good point that they're doing both marinara sauce and ketchup. And what do they have in common? They're both red and tomato based. So, oh, that's true. yeah, they're, they're we, very we, similar. We did try ranch and that was a no-go. <laughs> yes, she wouldn't even, no, she wouldn't even look uh, yeah. at it because of the color or the smell. Things like that are definitely challenging. So if your child struggles with food and sensory things related to food, I really wouldn't push it. I do always encourage experimentation, like giving them those options, but having that no thank you bowl so they don't feel forced to do it because it is really anxiety inducing, especially in my experience, like it really does actually trigger like anxiety and panic and also sorts of negative feelings. So don't force it and push it on them if you can see that they're getting to that like distress level. Some other sensory issues that I have, I would say my second biggest one other than like foods and textures is really like loud noises and electricity, like high pitched noises. But I have really sensitive hearing. I can hear electricity in the walls, which can be really, really aggravating if you're trying to sleep and all you hear is this like high pitched whine. The closest thing I can think of is like if you have like a mosquito flying in your ear. It's just the most irritating, constant sound. It just doesn't go away. There's no break in it because your electricity in your house doesn't stop. It's a constant sound. <laughs> just, just throw the fuse switch. Yeah. So I, one of these days. <laughs> so yeah, that one can be stressful. And what I notice is the more tired I am or the more stressed I am just because of my general day, the more sensitive I am to these sensory stimuli. So if I'm tired or I've had a hard day, I'm going to be more reactive to these sounds and they're going to bother me more. A couple times we ran into the issue with 
you having to shave with your electric razor. Remember right. that? Right. So usually like I'll try and like close the door or like turn on like water as well to kind of like muffle it a little bit. I mean, because I really want to look beautiful for you. So I mean, a clean shave, I know how important that is. So. Yeah. And that's a necessity. So I'm willing to forego <laughs> to the pain. The sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, actually, I like a scraggly man. What are you talking about? I like that beard. No, but in all seriousness, when he was shaving with his electric razor, I didn't even know he was shaving. He was in the bathroom. I was already in bed, tucked in, ready to go to sleep, basically. And I suddenly just got this splitting headache and like a migraine. And at first I thought I could ignore it. But as time went by, it just got more and more intense. And I remember having to just like jump out of bed. So I like threw my covers off and I jumped out of bed and I got up and I like grabbed my head. And it was like so painful and I couldn't figure out like what's going on. And then I realized he turned off his razor. And as soon as he turned off his razor, my headache stopped. I mean, I still had like a dull headache, like, you know, the ache that you get after you had it, but that sharp pain instantly disappeared. And I was like, oh my gosh, it was his razor. But that's so weird because I was thinking like, like when I turn on my razor, I don't just do like one go, like I'll shave like my neck and then I'll turn it off and then I'll turn it on to do like my cheeks a little bit. So, I mean, I, I didn't know any of this was taking place because I had like closed the door. So I can just imagine me going through like five cycles of like turning it on, off, on, off, on, off. And you just kind of just I don't know, like, lying on the floor okay. just in pain. Yeah. Ouch. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's so weird. Yeah. Well, and I didn't really put two and two together until I realized the pattern of you turning it on and it coming back. So I didn't even know it was happening until I like put two and two together. Just trying to make your way out the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just like crawling it every time you turn it on. I'm uh, weak again. So yeah, I basically learned that I'm sensitive to electricity when we recently went to to church, I've been struggling with that because the church just now increased the volume to their music. I don't think anybody else notices, but I definitely notice because now I'm getting like migraines every time I go. And we're trying to figure out like, okay, where are the speakers? How do we figure out like the audio acoustics or whatever in the room? Let's sit in the far corner. Hopefully it won't like get to us as much. So yeah. Uh, I have considered noise reduction earmuffs, but I feel like that's a little weird for like a formal Sunday service. And I don't know, because it feels like you're giving off the impression that you're not listening, you know, like, oh, I don't want to hear this. You're just you like, take your Jesus stuff. I've in. had enough of this yeah. Jesus fellow. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like a weird place to put them on, but I will probably have to consider that at some point. So when it comes to sounds, those for me are actually physically painful. So if your child is complaining about noise or putting their hands over their ears, consider that they probably are actually experience real actual physical pain because for me, it, it actually does trigger pain and it can get to a point where I literally just have to leave the room. That's and, happened a few times. And we've, and we've even seen that with our youngest. Like, so if our oldest is in the car screaming, our youngest will put her hands over her ears and then she'll start to cry. So, I mean, it clearly is painful for her as well. And we can draw the same conclusion that she is experiencing a similar pain. Right. And it's not just with loud noises. I can also get migraines triggered from fluorescent lights. Unfortunately, her last house that we were in was all fluorescent lights, like the bulbs that you see in the office. And the best part was like when they're about to like die and they start like they would start flickering like crazy. (laughs) So I can really perceive the individual flicker in fluorescent lights. I'm not sure that anyone else can. Can you perceive them? Like, do you see the individual flickers and in lights, like I mean, a strobe light? So I can only notice if it's about to die that it's like strobing, but otherwise like 99% of the time, no, it's a solid fluorescent light. To me, the fluorescent lights look like a strobe light effect where they are flickering. So I can see them flicker, 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 flicker. And on top of that, they have a buzz. So it's like that buzz that you hear. No, I can hear, and I yes. hear the buzz if it's like a quiet room and there's nothing else happening and I'm sitting like right under. Yeah. To me, it's like 
obnoxiously loud. So I can hear that. And then at the same time, I'm getting a flicker, 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 flicker from the light. And it seriously feels like strobe lights. But I didn't know this. And I looked it up because it was driving me crazy. And I was like, I know I'm not making this up. I looked it up and apparently fluorescent lights do in fact work on like a flicker. They actually are like pulsating light. It's not like normal LED lights. So would you say they flicker, 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 flicker? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to flicker, flicker you. If I you was going to say, if someone can turn that into like a rap beat, just uh, live, You better just... watch yourself, boy. <laughs> Yeah, so I basically learned that that is the reason why I was getting migraines from those. That was very difficult when I had a job where my desk was under fluorescent lights and I literally had to bring Excedrin to work every single day just to get through my eight-hour shift because I was under a fluorescent light. So if your kid is seeming like they are light-averse, I would take that seriously because, again, they might actually be experiencing pain. And I think you have to keep an open mind as to the actions that your children are taking might be as a result of the sensory input that they're receiving. So for instance, our daughter, our oldest one, she would take a blanket and put it over her head anytime that we were going outside. So at first we were like, oh, she just wants to bring her blanket. She's just being silly. She's just kind of being playful. And then we started to think, oh, wait, she's only doing this on like really sunny days that we're taking her to the car. And usually when we're taking her to the car, it's the summer. So you wouldn't want a blanket. So we're just kind of like, why would she want to bring a blanket? And then only on the sunny days. And then we started to think, oh, she must be super, super sensitive to like the light because it's always a really sunny day when she puts it over her head. Yeah, she was literally putting it on over her head, covering her whole face like Casper the Ghost, like when you go and put like the ghost blanket and costume. It like, and it was like 90 degrees out too. Yeah. So, we're like, so I mean, we got like sunglasses and that kind of helps. She kind of puts those on. and Yeah. And then our youngest kid, when she's in the car, whenever the sun shines through the window, we've noticed that she's turning her head away from the window. So like the whole drive, she'll have her head turned in towards the car away from the window. So we're working on addressing those in the future. But now I know from my own experience that they probably are also experiencing that pain. They might be getting a headache or having some sort of like migraine trigger because that's what happens to me. Right. So the short fix that we had found was like the sunglasses help, but then for like a longer term, because they lose their sunglasses, we have to kind of constantly think of like how to help them when they encounter these situations on their own. Yeah. So you basically just come up with little hacks here and there, whether that is the blanket or the sunglasses or just anything that you can think of to kind of help in those moments. The last sensory thing that I will talk about that impacts me, this one is like in the area of touch. I have mentioned in previous episodes that I actually really like deep touch. I really need a lot of that like proprioceptive touch and I need a lot of that like sensory feedback. So on the opposite end of that, I really, really hate light touches or soft touches or scratchy touches, which is things like jeans. To me, jeans feel scratchy. They feel like literally wearing bags of sandpaper on <laughs> your legs. solid wool. <laughs> yeah, they just feel like, it feels like I'm like, when you pull up a pair of jeans, I feel like I'm just pulling up like sandpaper and scraping my legs up. <laughs> What's the best way to start your day? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if your kid is averse to certain textures and clothing as well, consider that, that for them, it might be painful in that area too. Like when I wear jeans, honestly, it's painful. Like when I take it off, you can see that my legs have turned like red. Like they get kind of like rashy where it feels like they have been basically scratched. It can actually have a physical reaction. And I remember we had uh, that guest on our podcast who she had a sensory aversion to lights and you could see her in the video in our IRL episode. You could see her physically turning red in the episode as we recorded it. Her skin color was changing. Just by the light filter that she had Mm -hmm. for the recording. Just because she had fluorescent lights on and she said that it felt hot. She said that she could feel heat 
on her body. And I believe her because, again, you could see it on her skin that she was changing colors. So it's those sorts of things that we have to be on the lookout for with our kids. Sometimes it's difficult because we can't really relate to what they're feeling. Since I am able to relate, I wanted to let you guys know a little bit of how that feels and how to put yourself in your child's shoes when they're going through these challenges that to us might seem annoying. It might seem frustrating, like, oh, just put on these pants or just eat this. It's not a big deal. But, you know, for a kid who is autistic, it actually can be a really big deal. If you've noticed the one pattern here of these sensory things that I mentioned is the pattern of pain, at least for me and my personal experience, a lot of these are painful for me. With the exception of foods, that one's not painful, it's just gross. (laughs) But otherwise, I would just err on the side of caution and assume that if they aren't, you know, able to do that, it may likely be due to the fact that they do experience some sort of pain or at least like severe discomfort. If you are encountering any of these situations, maybe do a little bit of investigative work to see like, oh, maybe it could be something like the type of soap that they're using or any type of detergent. Maybe try and switch to see if that has any type of impact on like the clothing, maybe fabric softener, just anything to try and get it so they are more comfortable. Also, if your child is neglected in this area where they are saying that these things are really hurting them sensory-wise, or maybe not saying it, they could be nonverbal and just acting out or vocally stimming, they could be showing you behaviors that indicate that these sensory things are challenging. A lot of times those behaviors come through stimming. So stimming helps your child self-regulate during these moments. It's kind of like an outlet. If I am in a very like loud area or something like that, honestly, I might hum and the reason I tend to hum, I think you might have seen me do this when you're like chewing food. Oh, maybe. Yeah. So like I really have this hard time with people eating food. It really, really like bothers me. So sometimes if I am not able to put on any background noise, like a TV or something like that to drown it out, I will start humming. And the reason that I'm humming is because I'm trying to cancel out the other sound because the other sound is triggering like a response. Like I will get goosebumps. So I will hum because when you hum, you can hear your own voice in your head louder than you can other exterior sounds. So that's the reason I will hum. So if your child is vocalizing like that, if you hear them humming, if you see them rocking, if you see them doing certain behaviors, usually for me and my experience, what that does is it helps cancel out the other sensory input. It doesn't get rid of the other sensory input, but if you're louder than the other thing, it makes the other thing not as obnoxious to you, basically not as triggering. And I feel dumb because I thought you were just impressed with the way I eat. So you wanted to assign music and a theme (laughs) song to it and just humming as I chew. Yeah. Unfortunately, you're not (laughs) that important. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, So yeah, those are just a few things. I hope that this insight was really helpful. Stimming is something that is helpful for your child specifically with self-regulation when it comes to these sensory overwhelm situations. So if the stimming is not harmful, just let them do it. It's really soothing for me. It makes me feel better. If I am not able to stim when I need to stim, it actually makes me more stressed out. And a lot of my stimming is subconscious anyway. I don't even notice when I'm doing it. So let your kids stim and, you know, again, if it's not harmful, just just let them do it. That's pretty much all we have for this episode. We'll have more information for you next episode. So stick around and thanks for tuning in again. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. 
to review, we noted how autistic children may actually experience pain when reacting to sensory input. We discussed how it's important to let them self-regulate by utilizing safe stimming behaviors. Lastly, we recommended accommodating your child's sensory needs by using preventative measures such as headphones, sunglasses, more comfortable clothing, or other small adjustments in order to meet their sensory needs. Tune in next week as we take a deeper dive into stimming and answer questions such as, what exactly is stimming? What does it feel like to stim? And how does stimming impact my child? This is Embracing Autism.